All of this is in connection with the Lord's Supper, which is our topic for this afternoon. So we'll read from Exodus chapter 12. We'll read verses 1 through 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the, whole, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening." For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, 
The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So far from Exodus, let's turn now to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verses 17 through 29. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So far from Matthew, let's also turn to one more passage in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 And we'll read verses 14 through 22. First Corinthians 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So far, the word of God. Every Sunday in the afternoon, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of the Christian faith to study the doctrines of the Christian faith. Today, we find ourselves in Lord's Day 28. That's on page 542 of your books of praise. There, the question is, how does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you, sh- that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one Spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're continuing our series on the sacraments. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked in detail at the sacrament of baptism, its meaning, its significance, also why it ought to be administered to children. This afternoon, we'll begin looking at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to follow a similar 
structure beginning by just looking at its meaning as intended by Christ. Our catechism devotes a great deal of space to the Lord's Supper as, as a topic, and that's not surprising. This was written, after all, in the Great Reformation, and Uh, probably the number one dispute of that day had to do with the meaning of the Lord's Supper, the differences between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass. So the Heidelberg Catechism devotes three Lord's Days to this subject, and especially in that time, it would not at all have been excessive. There was much misunderstanding about the Lord's Supper and much need for teaching. Well, in our time, that certainly does continue. There, There remains much misunderstanding and much need for teaching. That's true of the sacraments in general. And it's true also with respect to to the Lord's Supper and also the the Papal Mass. Uh, There are many Roman Catholics in our own community here in Alora who still hold to these same doctrines that the Catechism uh, deals with. And some of them might be your friends, your neighbors, or or your colleagues. And so we will also devote time to that question next week. We'll focus specifically on the Papal Mass and the Lord's Supper. This week, though, we want to work through Scripture and consider the meaning of the Lord's Supper uh, more broadly to, to understand the meaning that the, uh, of the Supper the way Christ intended it when he instituted it. Uh, if we're going to understand and appreciate the Lord's Supper the way that it was meant to be understood, we need to begin in the Old Testament. It's no secret that Christ chose to to institute the Lord's Supper deliberately on the night of Passover, the most important feast of the Old Testament. In fact, you could go as far as saying the Lord's Supper is a celebration of Passover, It's what you see in in Matthew 26, verse 17 tells us it was the first day of unleavened bread, uh, which is another name for for the the larger feast of Passover. So there was the one night when the the lamb was slaughtered, and that that came to be strictly called Passover. But the whole week was a celebration of Passover, and it came to be called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, So the first celebration of the Lord's Supper was a celebration of Passover. And it's clear that the Lord's Supper is meant to pick up on the themes of uh, of Passover and then apply them specifically to us as Christians. Now I should mention as an aside, there is some debate about uh, the exact night that the uh, Lord's Supper was celebrated. Uh, The different Gospels present it differently. Um, and, and it has to do with how you count the days of the Lord's Supper. There were different groups in Judaism. So we know that uh, the Lord's Supper was held, obviously, before Passover, um, and, and Christ was, was crucified before Passover. So uh, some would say, well, it's not technically a Passover meal because Christ uh, was already crucified by the time Passover came around. But there are different ways the dates were counted Uh, And so that's why the Gospels present this as a meal that happened on Passover. All of that just to keep in mind as an aside. It's clear it was intended to be a Passover feast. Or or at the very least, a feast that was intended to pick up on the themes of Passover. In fact, the language of the Lord's Supper is taken directly from the Passover ritual. Uh, the, the phrase, the cup of blessing for which we give thanks, was, was taken 
uh, right from the, the Jewish Passover ritual. It's a phrase we find in, in 1 Corinthians 10. And that's, that's language that was used when they celebrated the Passover. Now, it doesn't come from Exodus or, or anywhere in the institution of Passover, uh, but from the traditions that had developed around it. And apparently, the earliest Christians and, and Christ himself used uh, those traditions, used that, that language. Well, why does this matter? Uh, it matters that the Lord's Supper was built on top of Passover because it teaches us that the Lord's Supper is meant to carry the, the message of Passover onwards. And that's why we read from Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus 12, you can read about the institution of Passover. And God commanded the Israelites then to celebrate Passover as a way of remembering the judgment that fell on Egypt and Israel's deliverance from that judgment. That judgment, of course, was the death of, of every firstborn son, the last of the ten plagues. And it was, it was a judgment that fell over the entire land. The, the Feast of Passover makes that very clear. That judgment fell on the Israelites as well. They too were guilty of the same sins as the Egyptians. And Passover makes it clear then the only reason that the Israelites did not experience the death of every firstborn was because the blood of the lamb covered them. So they, they had to take that lamb and slaughter it and then spread the blood on the, on the lintel and the doorposts of, of their houses. And then they would eat that lamb as, as a symbol, symbolic way of taking that lamb's sacrifice in for themselves. So the Israelites understood very well what the blood of the lamb meant. Uh, the Lord explained it himself in Exodus uh, 12 that the blood shall be a sign for you. It was meant to teach them something. And, and it meant that they were just as guilty as all of their Egyptian neighbors and that the only reason they didn't die is because the blood of the lamb was over them. Well, then God commanded them to, to celebrate this feast as a remembrance of that event and not just to celebrate it once, but specifically commands them to celebrate it every year over and over again. Now, if you jump millennia forward to the book of Hebrews, it reminds us that this ongoing over and over again shows us that these animals were ultimately symbols. They didn't take away sins themselves, nor that judgment itself, but they pointed to the sacrifice that would. And that's the sacrifice of Christ. Well, we read from the, the instructions for the Passover in Exodus 12. It says the lamb was to be roasted. None of its flesh was to be left over. If any was left over, it was to be burned so as not to be defiled. Uh, and in addition to the flesh of the lamb, they were also to eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The point of those two was to serve as a reminder of the slavery in Egypt. The bitter herbs uh, represented the, the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. And the unleavened bread was a reminder of the, the poverty that the, the Israelites experienced in that slavery in Egypt. Uh, often they wouldn't have time to even wait for the bread to rise because both man and wife were expected to be working for the Egyptians. So in Deuteronomy 16, uh, it explains the details of the feasts over again. 
And, and it's interesting there, the, the explanation it gives for the, the unleavened bread is it says it is the bread of affliction. So it has something to do with bread that you would only eat if you had no, no other choice. Uh, it's also worth mentioning the yeast, the, the leaven, was a symbol throughout the Old Testament of sin. Um, so all the bread and all the sacrifices and offerings, all of them, uh, regardless of whether it's Passover or not, the, it was always unleavened bread as a symbol of the holiness of God's sanctuary. So si- the leaven represented sin, which was to be put out of God's sanctuary. So the Israelites were commanded to observe that feast year after year throughout their generations. It says that a number of times over. What does that feast have to do with the Lord's Supper? If you look at them from the outside, they're, they're very different feasts. They don't look uh, much like one another at all. Well, we, we saw, though, that the Lord Jesus specifically instituted the Lord's Supper on the night of Passover... And the point was clear that he wanted the Lord's Supper to take on the meaning of Passover. It's built on that original feast. The Lord Jesus himself explained the elements in the Lord's Supper. We read about that in Matthew 26. He took the bread, would have been the the unleavened bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, This bread is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. So uh, that, that sacred, holy, unleavened bread that God had commanded the Israelites to, to eat every Passover, the Lord Jesus taught that sacred, holy bread represents his sacred, holy body. And the same is true of, of the wine. Now, it's interesting with the wine, maybe if you were reading carefully, you would have noticed there's no mention of wine in Exodus 12, uh, nor is it commanded in any other institution of Passover. Uh, wine just became a tradition over the centuries in, in the Passover celebration. And it's noteworthy that the Lord Jesus worked with those elements. Uh, it, it says something about the nature of the meal itself, that the Lord Jesus was willing to work with the elements that, that were there over the centuries. It, it, it tells us that it's the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper is not about the elements themselves. Uh, it, it's not wrong, then, to use rice bread instead of wheat bread, or grape juice instead of wine for those who cannot drink alcohol. It's clear that it's not about the elements per se, it's about what do these elements mean. Uh, So the Lord Jesus himself made use of the elements that were there, even though they weren't prescribed uh, by God. So the Lord Jesus took these, these basic elements of the feast, the bread and the wine, that those were the, the main elements there on that night, uh, and, and he said, this is my body and this is my blood. Now, you notice, of course, there's no mention of, of a Passover lamb. There's no meat at that table, and that's because the Passover lamb still had to die. It wasn't yet that, uh, that day. Uh, however, there is a Passover lamb in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us this, that Christ is also our Passover lamb. That, that sacrifice, of course, would still come a day or two later, uh, the same day that the lambs were to be slaughtered in the temple, uh, when Christ was crucified for our sins. But already in the bread and wine, it points forward to the Passover lamb.
So, so it's clear that the Lord Jesus built the, the Lord's Supper uh, on top of the feast of the Passover in order to carry on that same message. And so then we can think about what's the message of the Lord's Supper was the same one as Passover, deliverance through judgment. It shows that we, like the whole world, are under judgment, and yet we escape because of the blood of the Passover lamb. That same message is carried along in, in the Lord's Supper. Now, though, Christ is that Passover lamb. He is the reason that we are spared the judgment of God. And also, just as the, the Israelites ate the unleavened bread as, as taking in the holiness of God, taking in that holy bread, so we also eat the bread, which now points to Christ. So Christ is now the, the holy bread of God, which makes us holy. So that, too, picks up the meaning of, of Passover. Uh, so the meaning of both feasts is fundamentally the same. Christ is our deliverance from judgment. And that's why Christ instituted the Lord's Supper on that night. That also means that the old Passover had to come to an end. Now, to be sure, it is still celebrated by, by Jews around the world, but the celebration today is only a poor imitation of the, of the ancient celebration from that time. There's no temple anymore. There's no Passover sacrifice anymore because all of those things pointed to Christ. And not 40 years after Christ had died, the temple was destroyed and the sacrifices came to an end and never again have they returned. And so when, when the Lord's Supper was instituted, it was instituted as a replacement for the old feast of Passover. Now, we want to understand that the, the, the blood of the Lamb uh, in the Old Testament, the, in the Old Testament Passover, the blood pointed to the covering of, God's, uh, of the people from God's wrath. And so the unleavened bread pointed to the sanctification of the people before God. And both of those two elements are there in the Lord's Supper. We're covered by Christ were also sanctified before God by Christ. Just as those elements were there in Passover, so they are also there in the Lord's Supper. So as we break this down, the Catechism is helpful for this, uh, you can see several different pictures in the Lord's Supper all at the same time. I'll point out three separate pictures that, that are in there in the Lord's Supper. The first picture is, is very straightforward, and it's, it's there in the first part of, of Lord's Day 28. And the picture is, the bread, just as the bread is broken and the wine poured out, so Christ's body is broken and his blood poured out. Uh, that picture is straightforward enough. And, and that, that's the picture that has to deal with the Passover lamb being sacrificed. The second picture is that of the unleavened bread. It's receiving and eating the bread and drinking the wine. Uh, again, the, the bread and wine point to Christ's body and blood. But now the focus in, in this picture is not on them being poured out, but on them being received and taken in and eaten. You see that in, in the second uh, picture. So if you look at question answer 75, it says, uh, Second... As surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, 
so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life. That's the, the second picture that comes out of, out of uh, Passover. And, and, it, and it's why the, it's interesting, the, the, the early Christians were often accused of cannibalism in, in the early days of Christianity because people heard of them uh, eating Christ's body and drinking Christ's blood, and some people were genuinely scared by that. They, they thought, what are these Christians doing? But it's, it's language that the Lord Jesus used himself. Uh, you think of John 6, verse 53, the Lord Jesus said, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's a very strange expression, and that's what the disciples even said. Lord, who can bear to hear this, this kind of talk? Uh, but the Lord Jesus was not speaking about literally eating his, his, uh, his body. He was using Passover language, speaking of a spiritual reality, receiving his sacrifice, and, and so to speak, taking it in. Uh, so he's using Passover language, language where the Israelites were not not just to kill the Passover lamb, but also to eat it, to, to take it in for themselves. And that's why Paul also says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, we read that earlier, the cup of blessing is a participation in the body or in the blood of Christ. Uh, he says, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. That was the point of why the Israelites had to eat the lamb, to show that they participated in that sacrifice. They, they received the benefits of it. And so it's in that sense that we can say we eat Christ's body and drink his blood. We don't, uh, like the Roman Catholics, believe that the bread and wine literally become his body and blood, but they, they represent it, and, and they're spiritually there's a, there's a unity there. Um, and, and that takes on then the picture of the unleavened bread, there's also a third picture in the Lord's Supper, and it's one the Catechism doesn't explicitly mention, but Scripture very clearly does. It's what we read from 1 Corinthians 10, especially verse 17. And the picture is this. It's a picture of many Christians participating of one bread. And Paul says the meaning of that picture is that we who are many become one body, since we're all partaking of the one bread. In other words, at the Lord's Supper, we all partake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all united to Him, and that means we're all united to one another as well. In fact, this picture would have been even more obvious by the way that the Lord's Supper was celebrated in the ancient church. Uh, we sometimes forget it, but of course the Lord's Supper was initially celebrated as, as an actual meal, just as Passover was an actual meal that, that physically nourished the body as well. Now today we don't celebrate it as, as a meal that physically nourishes us, but that is the way it was celebrated in, in the ancient church. Uh, you can even see that in some of the issues that Paul had to work through, where some people were eating so much and drinking so much that they went home drunk, and others were, were going home hungry. It shows us this was not just 
The Lord's Supper for them was not just a small piece of bread and, and a tiny cup of wine, but an actual meal. And that was the way it was practiced for, for centuries. It was only centuries later that it was shortened to, to the kind of ritual that we have today. That's not to say that the way that we celebrate it today is, is wrong, but it does mean we ought to still think of the Lord's Supper as a meal, as a communal meal that we have together as a church. Uh, that's, why we, uh, that's why we, as a church, we still celebrate the Lord's Supper around a table at the front to keep that imagery of a meal and of all of us as a church seated around the one table. And so we, we recognize then that the Lord's Supper is a meal. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of expressing our unity together as one church, as one body. And, and it wouldn't be wrong. Some churches do celebrate the Lord's Supper as an opening to a potluck meal. That's, that's the ancient practice, and it's, it's certainly not, uh, not wrong. So there's those three different pictures that you can see in the Lord's Supper. There's the... Uh, there's the picture of, of uh, the body being broken. There's a picture of the bread being eaten. And there's the picture of, of the, the, the church being united around one table. That's then the meaning of the Lord's Supper, taken right out of the meaning of Passover. Now, it happens often, uh, sadly, that many Christians today, including even Reformed Christians, often feel that they don't really get anything out of the Lord's Supper. And, and often it, it's even trendy to, to not even want to have the sacraments at all. Uh, there are some that would just rather do away with it because they don't see any, any value to it. It's important to ask, why is that happening? What causes that trend today? It's an important question to ask because the Lord Jesus commanded us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He did say, do this. In remembrance of me. In much the same way that, that the Israelites were told with the Passover, you shall observe this rite throughout your generations. Uh, so the Lord's Supper is something we're commanded to do. Well, perhaps part of the reason why some would see little value in the sacrament is because uh, too often uh, the, the Lord's Supper has been treated sort of superstitiously. It is a temptation for all believers. Uh, it's not just a Roman Catholic problem. Uh, Reformed churches struggle with this too. We ought not to treat the Lord's Supper superstitiously, to think that the bread and wine have some kind of special power uh, within themselves. They're simply signs and seals that God has used to, to, show, to, to give us his, his covenant, to seal the promises of Christ to us. And so part of that uh, distaste for the Lord's Supper might be a reaction against some superstition. Uh, we know that our hope is in Christ, our hope is in the gospel, and we don't need bread and wine um, to, to prove that. And so some react against the, the, the bread and wine for, for that reason. Uh, they don't want to treat it as some magical formula that gives us the gospel some other way. But to react that way is to go too far. 
It's true that the Lord's Supper doesn't have any special power in and of itself. We shouldn't think of it that way. And it's true, a person could be saved without ever once participating in in the Lord's Supper. Faith comes through the preaching. It's only strengthened by the sacraments. That's the the catechism itself uh, says so. But that isn't a reason to throw the sacraments away. Christ gave the supper as a way to encourage us in our faith, to help us to hold on to him and to the gospel, and to remind us again and again that he belongs to us and we belong to him. And so perhaps the the greatest reason why many find a little meaning in the Lord's Supper is because we, we separate it from the context in which Christ gave it. Uh, what I mean is this. Christ instituted this supper on the, on the last night that he was with his disciples as a way for them and for the whole church to remember that even though he's going to be physically gone, he still belongs to them. He's still with them to, to help them to remember him and to hold on to the promises that they have in him until the day that he comes again. He commanded us to do this in remembrance of him, and so it's rightly his supper. When we come to the Lord's Supper, Christ is our host, and he promises to be there with us. Every time we celebrate, it's, it's Christ who speaks, who says, this is my body, take it, eat, remember, and believe. It's there for our encouragement. Uh, and and so that, that's from, from Christ's perspective. And conversely then, the Lord's Supper also gave, or the Lord also gave us the supper for us as Christians to have a visible, tangible way of saying, yes, Christ, I do receive you. I do belong to you. Sometimes because faith is an invisible and spiritual reality, it can leave many people wondering, do I really believe? Do I really have faith? And those questions can can just be torturing. In the Lord's Supper, we have an opportunity to put our faith into visible, tangible practice, to come forward to the table, to take the bread and wine, to actually express and use our faith. It's a way of saying, yes, Lord, I do receive this bread and wine as your body and blood. So faith is is not just something that happens within our hearts. Through the supper, it's something we can do with our hands and with our mouths. It's it's a way of, of expressing and living out our faith in Christ. Now, it's true, of course, we can always make too much of that. We can start to treat the supper superstitiously. The Jews sometimes did the same with the Passover, celebrating it even while ignoring uh, God's law. Uh, But God had still given them the Passover because he knew the weakness of their faith. They too needed a way to remember God's mercy to them. And that's the, the purpose of the supper for us, to strengthen our faith, to encourage us, not to replace the gospel or replace the preaching or find some other way to salvation, but simply to encourage, to strengthen, to confirm the promises that we have in Christ. So brothers and sisters, then, may our Passover, which we will again celebrate in, in two weeks, 
May our Passover be a time also of rejoicing, of putting our faith into practice, of coming forward to receive our Passover lamb and to eat our holy unleavened bread. And may we do so rejoicing because we know that Christ's blood covers us, just as the blood of the lamb did for our fathers in the faith back in the time of Exodus. And so as often as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, let us remember, as our Jewish forefathers did, that all who sit at the table of God are the people of God. And all who belong to God then also belong to one another. And they are heirs of the same glory, the same gospel. Amen. Let's respond by singing from hymn 30, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. <clears throat>